This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, Russian Revolution. Over the weekend, a paramilitary group marched on Moscow, apparently with the intention to bring President Vladimir Putin to justice for the crimes that the group alleged. The organization, called the Wagner Group, with a W, had for years been deployed as a bit of a private organization that President Putin could use to handle the most difficult and risky tasks. The group had originally been called in to help with Russia's assault on Ukraine and, frankly, was the only part of the Russian army making any progress. But after a number of speed bumps, Putin and the Wagner Group were at odds. The world watched and speculated over the 24-hour period the Wagner Group marching on Moscow. They speculated about what was happening on the ground, what it meant for Russia. Mass media and social media told stories that were similar in some cases and contradictory in others. After an intense 24 hours, the two sides brokered a deal that absolved the Wagner Group and saved the Kremlin. But in the aftermath of the near revolt, how does the world see Putin? How does media play a role in revolts? What's next? And welcome, episode 78 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. I'm Nick, that's Chris, and I have been celebrating a graduation for a number of days, and you might be able to hear it in my voice. My I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're right. A lot of celebration, and I am also, as you're listening to this, on the day this is published, we have the last day at my current employer... Uh, senior housing news and so that's an interesting moment for me yes thank you sayonara best wishes so a lot going on in my life chris how are how are things up in uh, the district nice and slow remember when that wild like that crazy canadian wildfire smoke rolled through yeah i i think it's really fortunate that i live in a place like this because based on the the effects of like the cognitive abilities of the residents of the district you would think there was no effect from the wildfire smoke, people are behaving exactly as crazy as they were uh, before the smoke <laughs> rolled in. And, you know, other than that, I'm just yeah. chilling. I'm living my life. I'm not buying a house. No. I'm not getting a new job. I'm no. not celebrating any graduations. Yeah. And I'm not struggling to be here this fine Tuesday morning. Yes. So, yeah, as we record this. So, um, made an offer in a house. It was accepted and it fell through. So, we will discuss that in a moment. The book club is, is going. If you want to join the book club, there's only a handful of us. But we're, we're doing this every summer. We might even do one uh, occasionally throughout the fall or the spring and use this apparatus to communicate with our fans. The book is The Swerve. Plenty of time to catch up. Um, you can catch yes. it super duper fast if you buy the audio book and listen at 1.5 speed. Um, won't judge you if you do that. No way at all. Highly recommend, in fact. Yeah. It's it's a really interesting book because it's written by somebody who is both an experienced writer and a serious scholar. For sure. Fascinating history about how a key discovery of an ancient manuscript helped bring the modern world to be. Yeah. It, was a, it, it was a church world, it was a classical world, and then suddenly Lucretius appeared in the hands of the right scholar, and the rest is history. 
As a medieval history nerd, this is the first medieval history thing that's genuine history that I've read that like, oh, this kind of feels like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. I got to find this missing thing that will save the world because it's everything. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote it. Every, there's always some prophet or some powerful thing, and it's always some orphan that can save the world. It's literally the same story. Everybody just is derivative. But this was really he was looking for the ancient manuscript that's going to change the direction of the world, and it was real. Uh, there were no dragons or magic that I'm aware of, though, but if you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, he, he begs to differ. I, I I'm not sure. Wait, does it really? I, um, I don't. There I don't is listen. a weird theory about dragons. I, I'm not a Joe Rogan guy. I don't really no. want to know except for the answer to this specific question. Does he believe in dragons? No, but there there is a dragon theory out there, and I can describe it to you if you'd like very quickly. Very quickly. Very quickly. So in order for dragons to exist, their bone structure would be weak enough that the bones would disintegrate and there would be no uh, skeletal evidence. What? Like what? birds. Birds. Okay, that's that's utter nonsense. That that's utter nonsense. <laughs> sure. So the the fact that there's no evidence is not. It doesn't take away from the fact that there's no evidence. Yeah. Well, that the only other evidence is like that's archaeological. So, that all that's so all, crazy. All, so, uh, so now, so now these people can can point to us and say, oh well, you can't prove that there's not. Have you ever, you've never seen ancient you... aliens, bro? That's like the entire oh premise God. of the show. I... Hey, remember, who is the guy that we know? We don't know Charlie him. Love. But we know of him. Who? Charlie Love? Is this you talking about Charlie Love? Charlie Love, yeah. He was yeah. the guy from Western that was on there. Yeah, he was on Ancient Aliens because he's a... The, the, the world expert on Easter Island was at a community college in southwest Wyoming. You think I'm joking, I'm not. Yeah, he, th- th- this guy discovered all kinds of like new landmarks and new installations, yeah. and he was one of the leading, leading guys in figuring out what's up with Easter Island, like all the statues and all the ancient rituals and oh, all yeah. the peoples that He was an expert in the entire South Pacific, but Easter Island, like I was in class and like people came in with camera equipment to ask him questions about various things. It, it's amazing. And this guy is just at this very unassuming community college in Southwest Wyoming. I, there, he was one of the only, greatest what, what, I think there's seven community colleges there. In Wyoming? Yeah. Yeah, and the community college system in Wyoming is actually really, I think we could do a, a game theory on that because it's it's much more... It's, it's set up much more similarly to something like the Penn, the Penn State system or the Texas system or the Tennessee system. Yeah. Those are satellite campuses of the University of Wyoming. They're not really community colleges. Yeah, it's, they it, it really is kind of like a sustained... It's not a university system because there's only one university, so there's not really a system to have. But right. there is a system of community colleges and like yeah. all the classes and stuff. But this guy was on Ancient Aliens yeah. a lot because sure. they wanted to talk about the Easter Island statues couldn't have been made by human hands and stupid shit like that. Right, exactly. When, yeah, we know that they definitely And he's like, were. actually, no, they definitely weren't. <laughs> yeah, he, he did poo-poo the on them. Made them. He, he did poo-poo on them. Um, yeah, so uh, that I, I did find that. So that's what Joe Rogan believes that dragons grew. But Poggio uh, was the guy that was searching for the actual Ring of Power, which is just a manuscript that was lost from ancient Rome. It does give very big Gandalf vibes yeah, when he's, yeah. he's like, oh, I have to go keep it secret, keep it safe. And he goes off to the archives and sure. researches all this stuff in, uh, I think he goes to Minas Tirith, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he like rides all the way across Middle Earth and, right, goes right. and like, he's like pouring over these old manuscripts. And there's a really interesting discussion, you know, in, in the first part of the book, they talk about how these manuscripts kind of came to be. And there's evidence that kind of links one of the manuscripts that Poggio found to another similar copy or kind of contemporaneous copies that were found in like the 19th century yep. out of an unearthed portion of this villa, this seaside villa that had been buried by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. So yeah. really, really interesting it's history cool. of kind of it's like cool, how archaeology and preservation of medieval manuscripts and ancient texts 
kind of gave birth to the modern world. Really, really interesting discussion. So if you're following along with us, we should be about a third of the way into the book, maybe a little bit less. Uh, Download the Fable app. Join us for the discussion. We're excited to talk about that. We're going to be talking about that July 11th because we have next no, Tuesday is July 4th and we are not going to be dropping a new episode. Not dropping a new episode. I might do a remix with a five-minute intro on an old episode. So, so many of you from the first year or so are new. We have, uh, we're growing fast and consistently. Well, welcome and, aboard, Player 3. Yeah, Player, yeah. And um, you're probably better than Chris and I at every game, to be honest. Um, Guarantee, including this one. In yeah, fact, your, your conversation sure. and discussion is much more interesting than what we had to say. No we question. appreciate you joining us. No question. So we're gonna we might we might drop an old episode. I know that the good assassination, which is like our third or fourth episode, is one of people's very favorites. Which is where we uh, we don't we do not condone assassination, but no, assassinating President McKinley was super effective in making America a better place. So um, there's some also some interesting historical tidbits about yeah. that too, like uh, like the Lincoln family mm-hmm. of the famous Lincoln assassination yep. of the greatest president, arguably the greatest president in American history, one of the greatest world leaders of all time. He had a nephew that was like attached to multiple. He was invo- he wasn't involved in, but he was like adjacent to multiple assassinations, including the assassination of President McKinley. Yeah, uh, there's a lot going. On. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a cool episode. So we might we might do that when we are celebrating America's birthday. And the Fourth of July falls on a Tuesday. We have a have to have a come to Jesus moment as a Congress here. Uh, what if the founding fathers really meant to just sign the document on the first Monday of July? Yeah, I think that's what it was. The, they said the numbers are not nearly as important as preserving that three-day weekend. Correct. So I, think, I think so. Let's get it going. Right. Okay, so uh, today we're talking about this. Over the weekend, holy shite. A lot of, yeah, we, lot so of news. Cra- crazy stuff happened over the weekend. So last week was the big submarine, submersible, submersible yeah. submarine. Yeah, uh, the Titanic came out of retirement to pad its stats. Dude, the tough joke. Wow. <laughs> wow. I saw somebody say that. I was like, man, this is really like a Michael Jordan moment for this thing. It's unbelievable. Well, and, it, and it's crazy. I think a lot of people, like, like, James Cameron, who made the film Titanic, based on his exploration of the Titanic. Yeah. Like, he did the thing that these people were trying to do. And, and you know, we can, we can say a ton of stuff about that. I don't think there's a whole lot of game theory except for the video game controller that was used to control the sub. Yeah, there is game oh, that's, theory. That's, that's, that's a real thing. Those those controller inputs are pretty responsive. So like you can you can get some pretty fine motor control over like a robotics thing. But it was like Bluetooth. It wasn't even like hardwired in. And also, it wasn't like a 360 or a PS5 or an Xbox One. It was like a, like a weird Dreamcast. It was a knockoff like Logitech yeah. Xbox 360 <laughs> like game a derivative which, controller. So the only thing I'll say about the only possible game theory is about when to kill and eat and take over power if you if they had been alive for 24. The reason people were obsessed with it was not because they were missing. It was because they were missing and presumed alive for a little while. And everyone's like, could you imagine being in there with the oxygen? Like, how would you elect authority? Who would you kill first? Got to eat something. Um, and then if you kill everybody, there's less oxygen, and so like less oxygen demand. So like, that's why people were obsessed with it, and then they found him. And obviously, so the only thing that I'll say is that after watching the Boeing documentary um, and this situation, like sometimes if your gut feelings like this is shitty, don't get in the thing. Yeah, just just don't do it. I I, I want to give a quick shout out to the human race for immediately turning every situation t- without clear lines of governance into Lord of the Flies. Yep. It's like, I, I think William <laughs> Golding maybe meant that as a cautionary tale. I don't know. Sure. It, I mean, there are a lot of things to be said about it, but for God's sake, people, like you don't have to devolve into like a society-free state of nature every time you get scared. Yeah. But I also want to give a huge shout-out to the United States Navy for allegedly picking up a sound that was consistent with catastrophic loss of pressure inside the vessel 
which means it imploded, like days ago. Yeah. Days before it was, uh, days before like the Coast Guard announced that the uh, submarine had suffered a catastrophic loss of pressure. So people are like, oh, are they still alive? What's the oxygen timer? All this. It was really like this morbid fascination. Meanwhile, the Navy knew three days ago that they were. Had imploded. Which is weird because, like, it's every now and then the military, and this might be a, a fun little roundabout segue to the, to the Wagner group, the Wagner group, which we're going to be talking about here. Um, the, the difference between what the military believes is important and what we're obsessed with is always fascinating to me. It's like, I watch documentaries, and there's every time the military is involved, all good true crime documentaries have, or true crime stories have one consistent variable, and that is either police incompetence that gets interpreted as dirty police work. Sometimes it's genuinely dirty police work, <clears throat> James Winston. Other times it is... <laughs> are, you talking, are you talking about the crab thing? No, I'm talking about the rape thing. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, I was hoping you were going for a lighthearted no. mark there, but no, nope. you're going for the actual crime. Right, yes. So he... Alleged. The, uh, the actual alleged crime. The actual alleged... The, the one in Florida State, not the one other ones. So... Oh, good. Mm, great. Yeah, so... These cops always, there's always an insinuation that they're in on it. No, they're just, they just didn't have the camera roll. They turned the camera off. Like the body cameras, those are, get turned off all the time. But like the, the, the security footage, it just disappeared. Like, no, the idiot at the store didn't record it because they haven't used it and no one gives a shit. That's all. But every now and then they insinuate that on the military. And like, I just want to shout into the screen. The military doesn't care about this. Tr- truly. Tr- yeah. Well, uh, what's our motto on the show, Nick? <laughs> Never, Never attribute, attribute to, malice. to malice what could be attributed to incompetence. That's right. Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to cast any aspersions on the United States Navy, which is not only the world's best Navy, but it's also the world's second best Air Force. Uh, yeah. I would, I would never do anything to besmirch the good name of the U.S. Navy. But never. It, it, it reminded me of that scene in Happy Gilmore when uh, he's like, yeah, just, you don't have to be my caddy. I'll carry my clubs. Just tell me if I do not just make sure I don't do anything stupid. <laughs> yeah, literally, like, yeah. Well, where were you on that one, dipshit? Where were you on that one, dipshit? So speaking of that, we the other big news story over the weekend was that my uh, housing contract fell through. But I think I wanted to talk about it on this show just briefly, but I think we might do a housing negotiation story later this summer or episode later this summer because the market is about to uh, go from a, a, a nice warm burger to a, a lukewarm cesspool so of, of flies Great. and mosquitoes. So I think that's what, what we'll save that for. Let's talk about the other big news story, which is what we're here to talk about today, the Wagner yes. Group, and how a couple of things went down, and now there are there, the, the ramifications of what did happen and what didn't happen, I think, are going to be fascinating moving forward. We've got some academic literature on like how social media and mass media impact this kind of stuff. So let's start with the facts. Fact number one is the Wagner Group is led by a guy that was in prison, got out of prison, and started a catering business. Yeah, it's, it's really, really remarkable. There's some very, very funny comparisons to what happened, but the craziest thing that happened last week was on Friday, and I'm, I'm looking at a timeline of events that was put together here by Reuters of what they're describing as a mutiny, like yep. a genuine, actual mutiny of armed forces against the government that contracted them. So on Friday, this guy named Evgeny Prigozhin, who is the, he's the head, he's the HMFIC of this private military firm called the Wagner Group, he released a video on Friday that added fuel to the fire of an already existing feud with Russian pl- President uh, Vladimir Putin and like the top brass in Russia's military. So he has he has beef with the defense forces, and there are some reasons for that, which we'll get into a little bit later. You got to remind me to discuss that because sure, this isn't just coming out of nowhere. Oh, I want the beef with the defense forces. I think is the most interesting thing because that, that's the one that's going to have ramifications moving forward. But yes, we will circle back. Yeah, so this isn't this isn't like a good guy who suddenly had a crisis of conscience and decided he didn't want to kill Ukrainians anymore. 
This is a guy who has real beef with the way that his guys, his Wagner guys, his private mercenaries, were being treated in this conflict with Ukraine. And so he wanted yeah. to beef with the head of the Russian military, not necessarily Vladimir Putin himself, but with others who we'll, who we'll get into in a little bit. I want to talk about Yevgeny real quick. I want to pause and talk about Yevgeny real quick because I, this guy, I want you to envision him correctly. He was imprisoned in a Soviet prison, came out when the Soviet Union became Russia and a number of other countries. He started a legit catering and restaurateur business as like one of these teat sucklers from the, the Kremlin communism. You, you know what I'm talking about? These, they always, everyone calls it an oligarchy. What that actually means is, is there's like 5,000 people who get money and like 20 million of people who like starve to death. He's one of the 5,000. <laughs> Am I wrong? Did I describe oligarchy correct? Uh, no, you, you described it exactly correct. Yes. It's, it's unbelievable. His, uh, his path from, from rags to riches is, is remarkable. So he gets this catering business, and through the years, I mean, uh, uh, there, there are a lot of really good accounts for, of how he came to be the lead, uh, you know, the, the HMFIC at Wagner. But he did start out as basically like a hot dog guy. Yeah. Literally, and then he, but he served hot dogs to Putin. He made a lot of money. He's clearly a good businessman. He reminds me of kind of real-life Bane. If you've ever seen uh, Batman, the third one, or understand Bane, he was in prison at a gulag, like, rotting, and that was a Soviet prison. Russian prisons are no cakewalk. That was a Soviet prison. So I think that yep. he was in there marinating, and, like, when I get out, shit's going to be different, and it was. Like, he came out and made a catering. He was a hot dog guy. He served hot dogs to Putin, and now he's, like, perhaps the most powerful person in Eastern Europe. So, like, that, this guy is not to be trifled well, with. Well, the situation is kind of resolved. It was, it was a really crazy turn of events because on Friday, mm. like I said, he, uh, he released this video that was kind of explaining, like, hey, we're, we're doing a mutiny here, guys. Yep. And then he posted a bunch of recordings to Telegram, and he described Russia's military leadership as an evil that must be stopped. Mm -hmm. And he said that his military force, his Wagner guys, were going to lead a march for justice against the Russian military. And then the Russian FSB, that's their like security. So I don't know what FSB stand for. It's, I guess it's some Russian stuff. Oh, yeah, I'll look into it. But that's it. like the, the, that's the successor to the KGB. Yeah. They opened a criminal case against him on the grounds of mutiny. And then uh, the, to close out events on Friday, the deputy commander of Russia's campaign in Ukraine, so the guy that's in charge of the whole Ukraine effort is this guy named Sergei Surovikin. Uh, he, uh, he urged Wagner to give up their opposition to military leadership and go back to their base. And they started marching. Yeah. Wagner started marching. To Moscow. This, uh, yeah. So they, they, uh, they started moving up from this city of uh, Rostov-on-Don, which is about 50 miles from the Ukrainian border in the south. And they started marching north, essentially. Mm -hmm. He... Uh, he went all the way from down south, north, up to Moscow. So they were going there. They didn't really give clear plans about what they were trying to do. There wasn't like a list of demands or anything like that. It was basically just this march for justice that, that he kind of described. They came as close to, as, as 125 miles from yeah. Moscow, which for reference, for those of you who are on the East Coast, that's shorter than it is from the District of Columbia to the city of Philadelphia. Yeah. And like, I have driven farther than that. And Russia is the largest country in the world. Yes, so like it's they're huge. There, they are on the doorstep, and this is a mil The interesting thing about the situation, I think this guy's obviously a significantly better military tactician than I, I think the people that were getting mad at him are, because he realized like, oh, all your troops are in Ukraine and doing shit. Who's in Moscow? Literally no one. Okay, I'm gonna go talk to Putin about the way we've been treated with everyone and all of our guns. And at that point, like, we're gonna crush them. Like, who is gonna crush me? 
They're gone. I mean, it's the house it's, is empty. It's truly incredible. And and you know, along the way, they they took over a key like Rostov on Don is a key logistical hub. <coughs> so uh, I'm 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 checking some th- something out from Forbes here. So this is a, a kind of an article by this guy named David Axe, who's a defense writer. And he says, as Russian police and National Guardsmen stood and watched, the infantry from Wagner basically took control of this key logistical hub yeah. as part of the, the campaign in Ukraine. And there were a whole bunch of materials, uh, like weapons and materials, stockpiled there. And it's it's just it was just shocking. We thought, oh, my God, like the whole campaign in Ukraine is going to run through this place, and these mercenaries are going to have the place locked down and, and in control. The Russian military is grossly depleted. Yeah. I mean, they, they have lost just a, a huge, like a staggering number of people in this fight. And one of the reasons that Prigozhin wanted to have this march for justice is because he thought that his Wagner guys were basically being thrown into a meat grinder. Yeah. And he, he kind of was. I mean, he was recruiting essentially from like Russians, Russia's prison system where prisoners mm-hmm. were given, they were given like a, they, their sentences were commuted in exchange for military service. Yeah. And so he was able to like draw from them and say, okay, well, if you want to get out of prison, you can come fight as part of the Wagner group. So we were talking about um, in a recent episode a couple of weeks back about like one sign of the fall of empires, one sign of the fall of, of empires. And this is not in a book. This is from my professor who has a mustache and would never be on TikTok. Um, so you're, he, you're, you're just like him. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> he, uh, That's good. He he pointed out that especially in the transition of like early Rome to like late or early late Rome to early medieval uh, periods, if you are enlisting prisoners, times are bad because that means that you are out of people who are smart enough to make decisions, and you're trying to like we'll get the badasses, the prisoners will fight for us. No, the fuck they won't. They'll get the they'll get out of authority and they'll run, or they'll kill people, or they'll steal stuff. You can you've seen it in the Guardians of the Galaxy, the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. People in prison don't want to fight anybody except the people that are keeping them in prison. Right. And so, similarly, so, so uh, well, I guess not similarly. As a as a corollary of that, times are bad. The Russian military is super depleted. They're a force that was not built for annexation. They were a force that was built for the defense of Moscow. And Putin just kind of lost his mind and decided that he was going to continue to annex parts of Ukraine. But one of the key triggers, so according to the Washington Post, one of the key triggers for Prigozhin for this march for justice, this message to Putin and top leadership, part of the reason that he basically did a mutiny was this order from the Russian Ministry of Defense on June 10th, so about two weeks ago, that all volunteer detachments would have to sign contracts with the government. So in other words, people who are volunteering to go fight for Wagner, they're getting paid, but they're volunteering to go fight for Wagner. They're going to have to sign a contract with the government. So the order didn't specifically list the Wagner group, but there was a clear implication that a takeover of these mercenary troops was in effect. Yes, they were they were essential to Russia's campaign in Ukraine. They have been they've been indispensable part of of the campaign, and they're going to have to become government employees. and And he said, you know, th- this is this is horse hockey. You, yep. you can't you can't do this. And he thought it was basically unfair treatment of of his guys, and it was like a misuse of the Wagner forces. And so there there was indications, I think, after June tenth that he might mobilize his forces against Moscow. So um, the, the Wagner group, I guess, to take a step back, you think about them as, if you've ever seen Pulp Fiction, if you haven't, first stop this, this podcast and go watch Pulp Fiction, then yeah. come back and the Wagner guys are sort of like the Russian military version of the wolf. 
like when they don't want to send official troops and but they also want to do a better job than the military like hey we're going to call the wolf and we're going to send him to syria because we would really like it if the syrian government stayed in power then the wolf goes in is like yep done and they just obliterate everybody they're very very good this guy is by far the most capable russian but he's not a general he's the leader of this wolf group this Wagner group where it's like a, they're mercenaries, but the thing is that you can't control mercenaries. Now, he's so effective that when he got called to Ukraine, like they actually did shit. The Russian military was getting annihilated. The, 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 the key, march on Kiev was a joke. They were getting pushed back. Wagner came in and captured two cities. They're yeah. good. They, like, were, they, 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 were, good. they were truly, they've truly been key in uh, the Battle of Bakhmut mm -hmm. uh, in particular. They were just absolutely critical to Russia's ability to, to contain or con retain control of that territory no question so it, it, it really it really is like a winston well like, yeah, get it straight i'm not here say please i'm here to tell you what to do yeah exactly like the and i mean i don't know that it this might be hyperbole but without the wagner group this would be i think almost wrapped up because they they really kind of stuck their heels in the ground and like where this is an actual war they took ukrainian territory for the first time they did it just last may they did it last july like they are the only ones with their shit together but putin is putin and he realized like uh oh uh, this guy's kind of uh, usurping the power of other generals and the the minister, the, the the people under me, and he Putin and other dictators really like it when there is discontent among at in in the boardroom because that means none of them can 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 come after him. So there's discontent. He did what he always does, kind of enabled a a, a, a one a, a guy in the boardroom to come after Wagner or allegedly bomb the the Wagner group, and that's what was alleged on social media. I think on Friday or last week or something. So he was like, not me. I'm not the one you pull your Putin shit on. I'm coming for you now. And then that's when, that's when shit kind of went south. I think I got that right. Because he was like, they're bombing our troops. They're sending us here without any ammunition. For the last month, this guy's been mad. And then he's walking over his dead troops. It's a very violent looking video. He's like, look at this. Look at this. And then that's he's like, we're going we're gonna to have a conversation now. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. It, it uh, Paul Son and uh, Anatoly Kermanyev, or mm. Kermanyev, sorry if I mispronounced that, they were writing for the New York Times, uh, and they kind of explained the situation. There were a multitude of factors that led up to this kind of breaking point on the June after the June 10th order. So they say that the Wagner Group had largely been sidelined except for when they were necessary in holding defensive key areas. They say uh, his government catering business had come under threat, so... Hot Dog Man was about to lose the Hot Dog Man title. Dude, that's the money. There was, there was also a lot of leadership shuffle in the top cast. So as, as, as part of the way that Putin tried to keep others from possibly usurping political power from him, he shuffled people around a lot. And if things weren't going super well, I mean, remember, we talked about this on the show before, they thought that this campaign in Ukraine was going to be over in a matter of like four or five days. Yeah. They told people to like bring their dress uniforms as part of like the victory parade celebration for when they quote unquote denazify Ukraine. Yeah. So the fact that it's been going terribly and has been drawn out for well over a year, it indicates that Putin needed to, or indicated that Putin needed to shuffle around people at the top because it made him feel better mm -hmm. because it prevented people from consolidating any power. And then, Prigozhin admired one of the one of the top leaders of, of the campaign, and he lost his job. And he also was recruiting from Russia's prisons. And this this kind of point of loggerheads at which he was standing against other Russian military leadership kind of came to a head. 
and the New York Times article writes uh, his only hope, Prigozhin's only hope on June 13th for last-minute intervention to spare him some defeat in a long-running power struggle with uh, Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu was dashed. And the way that it was dashed was that Vladimir Putin publicly sided with Shoigu and, and other adversaries of Prigozhin. And he affirmed that all irregular units fighting in Ukraine would have to sign contracts with the military of defense, including the Wagner Group. And that was the last straw. That yep. was when he said, okay, we're marching, boys. Yep. He's like, no, we're not. You're not going to conscript us. Like, we are not. We're, we are, we're not a dog. We're the wolf. And you don't, you don't do that to us. <laughs> We got that. We got that dog. We got that wolf in us. Yeah, we got the wolf in us. So then they marched, and of course, like it, it was bro a peace deal was broken in a matter of hours, and the fallout from that. So what happened was they got really close. I believe the Russian Air Force had a couple. They they were Putin or somebody directed them to shoot the column of marching people, and they were promptly shot down. Like it, they killed Russian soldiers from the sky. So like that, and that must have been like okay, we have to just do whatever they want now. Um, oh, yeah. They killed. They, they shot down the planes from the Air Force that were, or the helicopters, whoever was coming to shoot at them. So then, this is the, the fallout from this. So there are two sects of game theory that we, I would like to dive into. The first is this brilliant paper that kind of predicted this in a strange way. About yeah, how interestingly. Mass media and social media impact revolts. So we'll get into that in a moment. Um, the other part of this is the fallout for Vladimir Putin and the game theory of that. Because I, I believe personally that this is disastrous uh, for Putin's long-term uh, grip on power for a number of reasons. So I, I kind of want to get into that now. The first thing is that Putin is the guy that like chokes you to death. He's this, this, and that, that's the image he's portrayed to the Russian people is I am the one who crushes power. I am the one. I'm he, the one who knocks. I am the one who knocks. He uh, got knocked on and immediately signed some sort of peace deal with Belarus, which is just Russia. And they, the, everyone agreed that we're going to send the Wagner Group to Belarus. No one who killed Russian soldiers for the Wagner Group will see any sort of criminal action. And this guy probably got what I would guess is a uh, gargantuan amount of money. And now he's like, okay, fine. I don't know that we're going to participate in the war anymore. We're going to leave Moscow alone. We're going to go away. But just remember, the most important thing about this is that the Russian people saw Putin weak. And the Russian military was like, shit. Huh, yeah. that didn't seem like it was that hard. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And uh, CNN's uh, Keir Giles also agrees. I mean, he, he writes that not only Putin, but Russia itself has been shown to be far weaker than, than people kind of realized, and it's because they were largely pretending to be really strong and like powerful. And I think we overestimated Russia at the very start of this campaign in February of 2022, and this illustrates that they're much weaker than even we originally thought. That does not mean that collapse of the Russian state is imminent. I know there was some talk about civil war. I know there was talk about a coup to potentially oust Putin. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. So it's not that their weakness is indicative of, of imminent failure of the state or of, of leadership or anything like that. But it does show that, like, yep, they, they're, they're way weaker than we originally thought. And I think there's also another takeaway that the fact that a group of armed insurrectionists could basically march their way up from southern Russia, unchallenged, essentially, into Moscow, uh, doesn't necessarily bode well for the Russian military, but it also, also doesn't immediately mean that Ukraine could just, like, roll into Moscow unopposed in the same way. Yeah. Okay. So uh, while there's not, like, an imminent risk of collapse, I do think there's a significant challenge to Vladimir Putin's grip on power. And there are some real questions about what that means for, like, stability of the Russian system of governance. What does it mean for the value of the intelligence apparatus. What does it mean for his ability to kind of play politics at the top 
and continue to prosecute this unjust war in Ukraine? Yeah, so there, there are a couple of things. Like the, the demonstration to the Russian people that it's not quite as tight a grip as it appears. I would say that just based on the information we have available, that there are dictators in Eastern Asia um, and <laughs> dictatorial regimes in Eastern Asia, two of them notably, that have a very clear grip on their people. And Russia was thought to be kind of like that. And now it's looking like, I don't know, it doesn't quite look as scary. It's still bad. One of the game theory aspects of civil war and all civil wars to me are very similar in that either A, they're crushed or successful very quickly, or B, they are a disaster that drags out for years. And because the actual military of the country is often thought to be weak and disheveled, they're often actually not. They're pros. And the, but the, rev, the, the, the revolution has more gumption and will behind it, so people will drag it. That's happened in America. I mean, Robert E. Lee was a brilliant general, and the, the, the revolution was they wanted to fight to the bitter end. It could have been You're an annexation. About the revolution in Robert I mean, the, E. Lee? Well, the, the Confederate revolution, yeah. They, they wanted to revolt and fight it out to the bitter end. And, and fuck those guys. Yeah, I agree, for sure. And also, I mean, Abraham Lincoln, this is the, to, to talk about Civil War, Abraham Lincoln could have simply annexed the South with the Navy, starved him out, and there would have been very little bloodshed. But uh, politics forced him to be aggressive, which was stupid. And now, you know, we have the Civil War. It was bloody, and the relationship probably, I argue, might have been a little bit better if it had been a, a less bloody war. But that's why, that's why civil wars are so risky, because the Wagner Group demonstrated that, like, things could have been bad. 125 miles, very close. 125 miles, yes. also still very far away. And if they don't take the Kremlin in 24 hours and the Russian military comes home, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dead civilians. Like this is a thing that could be last for years if you don't make it happen quickly. So the game yep. theory here, it's a very much like a, an equilibrium. This is the best situation for all human beings is that it got brokered for sure. Truly. I mean, Truly. We, everybody's like, oh, go get Putin. Like, I don't know that he'd go down that quick. I think that it could also, get bad. If like, let's say there is a re some kind of regime change coup and the head of Russia's mercenary forces, uh -huh. this private company takes control of the Russian government. Uh, that doesn't mean that he's going to be like, okay, you know, democracy for all. Time yeah. to stop killing you innocent Ukrainians. Right. Time to stop our militarism and become a peaceful nation again. Like, no, he's a bad, he's not a good guy. Right. Exactly. Somebody so. somebody compared it to like if Rachel Ray took over U.S. military installations at Fort Bragg and made her way up into Richmond. <laughs> like, if 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 that were the case, except. That does, except that the only non-parallel there is that Rachel Ray is not also an ultra-nationalist like bigot with violent tendencies. But yeah, like, yeah, she sure. she didn't she didn't have to work her way through a, a Soviet prison, and she doesn't also want to bring glory to the motherland. So that's the only parallel that doesn't quite fit. No, I don't think so either. It really like, because people are laughing. We all are united as a country for the most part. That like Putin bad and or like not yes. that good. So. It's like, oh, we want Putin to go down. Like, well, this is the concept of Medellin for anybody who's seen Sicario or understands the United States relationships with Pablo Escobar. Um, sometimes the devil you know, if is he actually in charge, I mean, the only reason Putin's bad is like, man, he might nuke us. But if we were like, ah, he's not that crazy, then we would feel a little bit better about him in power. But this guy, who the fuck knows, man? Like, who, who knows what this guy's capable of, too? So it's not a good situation. You don't just want blind revolution. That is for sure. But I will say this. Did you see the rumor... It was substantiated by Twitter accounts with blue check marks and also a couple of news organizations. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, this is going to be a good segue, by the way. Are you ready for the rumor? Um, the rumor was that Kazakhstan turned away Vladimir Putin. Um, he was flying into Kazakhstan, and they turned him away. No Kazakhstani I, access. 
I did hear that rumor. I don't know whether to give it credit or not. I so the only thing that gives me any the, the you know who my most reliable source the only reason I'm like this is kind of interesting was the guy on Twitter that Elon Musk banned that is now on TikTok that tracks tail numbers on planes and he just like has all these planes and like I don't know that he has better intelligence than the United States military but he's very good at tracking planes that's why Elon Musk bought Twitter so that this guy wouldn't tell everyone where he is that guy thinks that this is what happened this kid he's like 20 um, well, so and, I don't know and if and if he doesn't, if if he does have better information than the U.S. intelligence apparatus, or if he doesn't, I guess we're not going to know. We're not going to yeah, find out because no. the U.S. government is not going to say anything about that. Mm. Which, if that were true, that would be a fascinating turn. That to me is just as damning as anything else that your allies are not your allies. I don't buy it for sure. I do like the rumor, and I think some rumors about Putin have turned out to be incredibly true, while others have turned out to be kind of fake. So I think. This one, I kind of, my gut, my first gut reaction is, yeah, sure. When everyone's like, he's got cancer and has months to live, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, he might be sick and might be old, might be stressed out, yeah. but I don't think he's got terminal cancer. I think. I think he was stressed out. I think he was anxious about his country falling apart and the war not going well, which is reasonable. Yeah. It's almost as if his entire worldview started to crumble about his ears when he, <laughs> yeah. when he realized, oh, shoot. I can't just take this territory. It doesn't just belong to me. Right. So I, that was part of the rumor. So now the, the other part of this that we want to talk about, and this is where this brilliant paper comes in, is how information and disinformation happen. So we found this paper um, because if anybody has been following the war in Ukraine knows TikTok has been instrumental in spreading mostly true shit, some fake shit, but the fake shit is super popular. So it, it's really fun uh, to discuss. So this paper... Uh, it talks about how mass media and social media are different to the equilibrium of revolt. This was published in 2017, and I think it was published in the wake of some things happening in Africa and also in the 2014 uh, Ukrainian invasion. So it was published by uh, Hubert Janus Kiss, or Hubert Janus Kiss, Ismael Rodriguez Lara, and Alfonso Rosa Garcia, and it was published in Social Choice and Welfare. Um, so this is a game-theoretic approach to revolutions in and media so chris did let's start with the discussion or what do you want to start with the what do you want to start with here well their 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 top line takeaways are that when they're comparing the role of social media versus like regular media they come away with a couple of observations so they say that social media allows participants to observe the participation of other people in the event so if you think of like the arab spring twitter and facebook and other social media platforms were a key instrument because even through censorship if people are able to find a way to get online and, and observe what's going on they can see other people participating in that and if you think of like other kind of social movements that's true too i mean the me sure. too movement was entirely based on social media uh the the covid lockdown i mean everybody was like spending more and more time on social media because they were cooped up at home right. so they're able to observe more and more when the social justice events of the mid the middle of that year kind of broke out and so people yeah. were able to like organize marches and stuff through you know from the confines of their own homes through social media and that's because they're able to see other people participating so they demonstrate that there there are basically two conditions that they can give us takeaways for so they show that when individuals willingness to revolt is publicly known, so that's when everybody knows, uh, yeah, we're, we're really doing the thing, then both traditional and social media can foster successful revolution. However, they say when willingness to revolt is private information, as in it's not being blasted out everywhere, only social media can ensure that a revolt succeeds. They say that mass media has multiple outcomes in, in situations where willingness to revolt is private, and one of those outcomes includes individuals not choosing to participate. So 
Their suggestion is that social media enhances the likelihood that a revolution triumphs more than traditional mass media. Now, without if you're reading this and you don't get into the discussion portion of it, that does raise the question of, are they assuming a causal link here? Are they assuming yeah. that this is more than just a correlation uh, between the data that they've collected and that it, there is, in fact, a causal effect from social media use leading to a more successful revolution? That's a really interesting question, and I think... You're probably you can you can probably tell us a little bit about that, but when it comes to social media and yeah. this mutiny over the weekend, uh, I think there's some important takeaways that might make you take this paper with a grain of salt. Yeah, so I think the paper is looking at causal relationships. The other thing is that in 2017 is pre TikTok, which is super important, and I can't stress that enough. The TikTok algorithm is worthy of a Nobel Prize in mathematics. Like they, it is a <laughs> it really is. It's a different thing, and um, like. The, the ability for a random person to get a message in front of 100 million people based on whether or not that message is important or entertaining to them is fucking crazy. I really cannot stress enough how revolutionary, because everyone talks about the children in the social media era, like you and I had Facebook and MySpace, and we were fortunate enough to be a couple of years removed from that. We think that, man, growing up like seven years younger would have been tough with Snapchat and stuff. TikTok's a different ballgame, because even though the social media is tough and likes and people are bullies, with TikTok, it's not that, you know, all my friends are going to be mean to me and bully me. It's that the entire planet could. That's, which is like you, millions. So it's a different thing. The, and I, I, I think that um, I've trusted but verified plenty of TikTok sources with the war in Ukraine myself. And it's been great. Like retired military guys are like, oh, this is what's going to happen. These are what these weapons are. It's been great. I've learned, learned quite a bit. But because of TikTok, it's completely different. If a message is entertaining enough... Um, people will just take it as is, and there's a weird level of authority with TikTok. So that's the important grain of salt in this paper is that TikTok did not I think it maybe existed, but it wasn't TikTok in when this came out in 2017. And even if it was, they would not have had the time to analyze it uh, before this was published. So that's that's grain of salt number one. Grain of salt number two is that you can't. Um, th this is a retrospective analysis of a game theoretical situation where revolutions have the ability for mass media and and social media. Now every single country all over the world is like, well, mass media, they would never cover this. Mass media is in bed with the rich people. Mass media, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yes, also no, both times, every country, no matter what. On one hand, uh, dictatorial regimes use mass media as an apparatus for propaganda. On the other hand, non-dictatorial regimes uh, don't give a shit. The mass media companies don't give a shit. They just want money. There are times when they want to push a message and like the succession stuff comes a little bit true for sure. But like while Rupert Murdoch, I, he does not want Donald Trump or Ronald Reagan to be president. He wants the people that want those people to be president to watch his TV show. That's like what this is actually about. So whether or not the, the, the desire to revolt is public or private is not as relevant as whether or not you'll know by if it's on TV. Because if it's on TV and it's not crazy or illegal to allege that kind of thing and people watch it and they want it, then like they'll do it. If not, like mass media is not covering this. Like because you don't care. We know you don't care. They have the data. They know your fucking child's un your unborn child's name. Like they know everything. And if you cared, they would put it on TV. I promise. Yeah, truly. And so I I, I think those are really good grains of salt to yes. to take with this paper. Be and the TikTok one is especially interesting because I think a lot of the reason that people find TikTok to be like like especially the instructional or kind of like the nonfiction. TikToks yeah, to be sure. uh, or to seem valuable and authoritative is because people on those speak with this sort of familiar didactic tone. It's like, oh, you're my friend now, and I'm teaching right. you something that's really important for you to know. It's like they, they for <sighs> yeah. for the twelve seconds or whatever 
however long it takes. They're like taking you under their wing and showing you something that's going to improve your life. Right. And whether people do that consciously or not, if it's just how like the style of creation works or, or what, uh, it seems to work to get people to buy into like what's being said. And so that's how like kind of silly rumors start sometimes. And you know, the, the another thing that makes this situation different from like the Arab Spring is that in the past, protesters were the ones who were largely employing social media. So like in 2009 and 2011, during truly revolutionary moments, the government forces in those countries really put in the effort to try to cut lines of communication. They wanted to stop people from being able to discuss this in, in kind of the same way that the Chinese government is like their, their strategy is to actively censor and control information on the internet. And they have a, an incredible, like a shockingly powerful apparatus with yeah. which to do that. But yeah, for sure. now Russia is kind of doing something different and it, they're basically having pro-Kremlin commentators use the use social media platforms to share their own version of updates with maybe doctored information, maybe inaccurate information, maybe information that like shows a video of something, but we don't know when the video is. We don't yeah, know when the video sure. is doctored. And so the situation is very fluid. I mean, I, I remember texting with friends like our, our memes that we were sharing in the group chats couldn't keep up with how quickly things were evolving in Russia with the mutiny. Yeah, yep. And so, so th this guy named uh, Cliff Lamp who's a professor of information and associate dean of academic affairs at the School of Information at the University, at, and, you know, in quotation marks, the University of Michigan. <laughs> he says we, we talked about this a, last it's week. It's a common finding. <laughs> yeah, it makes me, makes me sick that I even said that word on the podcast. <laughs> it's also a common finding that social media provides quick, often incorrect information during natural disasters. There's a whole field called crisis informatics that looks at the phenomenon. He says in times of crisis, whether they be natural or man-made, people to seek to cut through the confusion by learning about what's going on. Social media provides an immediate channel for that desire to be informed when chaos makes our internal state uncomfortable. So one of the results of that is that there's an opportunity for people who are trying to prevent messages from being seen to basically flood the zone with a bunch of horse hockey and confuse the narrative. And so when, when people are looking at whether social media causes successful revolutions or not, first of all, this wasn't really a revolution. This was a guy committing a mutiny because he had a political beat. It was basically gangland warfare at the top level of the state government. Right. But... Even so, to say it was successful, I mean, it, it undermined Putin's authority, but I don't know that's what Prigozhin really wanted. I don't think he really wanted to be exiled to safety in Belarus in exchange for you know, not marching on Moscow. It feels but to regardless, me, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. Like the, 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 the final conclusion here is that if you're trying to follow this crisis situation, you have to be very skeptical of what you see on social media because... Yeah. The information environment is way crappier now, especially on Twitter that now that Elon Musk has taken over and sure. spam is just so much more abundant. There's nonsense all over the place. Uh, the, the capabilities that people have technologically now to alter videos and alter images and make them look really, really convincing requires a lot of effort to try to sift through to determine like, okay, yeah, this is actually good, verifiably uh, true information. That's really hard to do now. And so trusting reputable sources of information like or, or like accounts of actual journalists that you actually know that this is their account or accounts that are tied to reputable organizations like major news media outlets like the AP and the New York Times and whatever else. That's really important to do. And it's also important to kind of just shut up about things. Like yeah. you can make your jokes and do, and do whatever else, but it's not necessarily helpful to parrot misinformation, even if that m m misinformation is compelling and seems true to you 
because yeah. all that does is serves the efforts of the propagandists who are trying to confuse the issue, spread misinformation, and, and undermine the cause of the people who are actually on the ground doing the thing. Right, and that's where we come back to the uh, patent and Nick Andrews experience triangle. There are differences yes. between facts, truth, and reality. Truth and reality are... Are, and this is this is a thing. I should write, I should write this down so, so when somebody steals it from me in 150 years that my uh, my descendants get the money. Um. Yeah, when they when they uncover the stone <laughs> the engravings of this podcast, yeah, for sure, preserve for us. The, what a fact actually is is completely. It's so hard to prove. It's a rare. It's like a god of information. But reality and truth don't necessarily need to be factual or unfactual. They can simply be incomplete facts. That's where this comes comes to pass because when you see all these old videos specifically there's a genocide happening right now in northern africa that nobody talks about where people are being starved to death but a lot of the people that are kind of pro-genocide are spreading things of that look very much like these people are marching on us we have to get them like those pictures are from 2011 and we know that they're from 2011 but they look relevant now and like the, the disaster stuff is great every time a hurricane happens people start sending out flood videos like oh the flooded planet fitness was from like nine years ago that's not yeah, right now. And, and I, don't, I don't even really know. In situations like that, I don't even really understand why people do that. But they do. It's and the same reason and why people have TikTok accounts. They want to feel good. They want to be famous. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, more, the likes. more clicks. Uh, by the way, like, rate, review, subscribe. Why do you get the chance? <laughs> For sure. Like, rate, reviews. Accurately. R- rate us highly and then accurately review us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gotta feed those algorithms, baby. Yeah, that's no, exactly but, right. But in, in situations like this, it's very important to assume that you need to continue to verify the information that you already have. Assume mm-hmm. that you do, like, player three, I just, you need to look yourself in the mirror and understand that you don't know everything. You don't yeah. have a monopoly on truth, and you don't really understand the full picture. No. We don't either. We don't, well, absolutely I, not. I hope we're, I hope we're clear about that. So, yeah, so no. don't even consider this episode to be to be the final straw on, on this particular issue. We've, we've kind of scratched the surface when we talk about these issues that are important, and I think people should try to be more informed about them, so we're, we're kind of advancing that cause. But we're, we're not military analysts. We're not Russiaologists. No. We're no. not revolutionary scholars. I mean, you should... Take what we're saying with a grain of salt and continue to find reputable sources of information to collaborate and build a clearer picture of the truth and sort through the inaccuracies. And, and you, basically, you got to learn to swim in an ocean of information and try to make your, make your way from island to island. Yeah, and I think that it's the, 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 this is the David Foster Wallace, his, his famous graduation speech, and I have to continually remind myself of something like this when I feel emotional about things that are good or bad happening in the world. Like m- you got to accept that most of the time the actual thing is boring and it just is boring. And if it's boring, then it's probably accurate. Like that's the thing. Like I, it's probably the boring thing that happened. Like, is it possible that Vladimir Putin was fleeing Moscow uh, to Kazakhstan? That would be the wise move. I mean, I'm sure that he maybe fled to Siberia. Who knows? Um, Is it, it's, it's, it's certainly exciting. It's evocative. It's thrilling. I, I, I mentioned like we're, we're texting back and forth in the group chat. We're sharing memes and stuff with each other. That was fun. That was yeah. entertaining to do, and I really wanted to be a, a participant in that conversation with people that I know and like and feel like I not only know what's going on but also am safe enough to make jokes about it. But you got to understand, like, that's – it's so rare that, like, earth-shattering events like that happen. Like, most of the time, the conventional, boring, unassuming thing is going to continue to happen, and incremental change is the way that, that – No question. Know, foundational change actually comes to be. 
No question. So this paper that talked about mass media versus social media, the general conclusion or thesis or thing that needs to be studied more is that social media is a, whether the people expressing themselves on social media, independent of or in conjunction with mass media uh, in regards to a pro-revolution, social media seems to be far more effective, which makes a ton of sense because you see, it's one thing to hear the guy on TV in his, in his fancy suit and his nice haircut and his, in his million dollar job say, oh, we should dethrone this. It's another thing. And this is where January 6th gets weird for us. If all of your neighbors are saying that too, and you're like, shit, like there are people that are like me that are doing this, which is why it's dangerous for, for countries like China and other countries that have a strict thing. Like China is vastly, vastly, vastly outnumbered by its people. So they cannot allow them to all share the same opinion. If Russians are in a situation where like these paramilitary groups are fighting over the seat of the Kremlin, that's just the Game of Thrones. Like the average citizen in, in St. Petersburg is like, what the, what do I, I don't give a shit. This guy, that guy, they're all awful. Like I don't, like, I'm just trying to eat some bread, man. But where social media comes in is, is, is this a thing that everyone agrees upon? Like we, when the dust settles on this Ukrainian defense in five to 25 years or whatever this quagmire ends up being, are we going to be able to look back and say TikTok really incited uh, patriotism from non from people who had no vested interest in Ukraine. How many Americans and Brits and Germans and French just put down their shit and like I'm going to go and use my skills to defend democracy in Ukraine? And they were just invited like as if they were citizens. How effective was that? When did it end up happening? And that would simply not have happened if you didn't get the TikToks of people getting married amid rubble and and people uh, cats and dogs surviving and people hiding in shelters like those things. I think are incredibly effective. However, the caveat is, like, man, if this feels like it's something, if you want it to be true, if you want, like, this is the exciting thing, this is the home run at the bottom of the ninth, you, that does not happen. So just make sure that it's a super accurate thing. Go verify. Because if it happened on TikTok, I promise, Good Morning America, The Wall Street Journal, they will have tweeted about it also. I promise. They, they want the clicks just as bad as the guy on the ground. They, they absolutely do. But for Putin... He seems weak now. He just doesn't seem, which is either really good for those of us who are thinking maybe too much power or really bad. Vladimir Putin is a weak, ineffectual, not very bright gangster with nuclear weapons. Yeah, the nuclear That's thing all is that. that is. Yeah, at, at this point, the nuclear. And like, if all of his other generals, if all of the number twos in charge see how quickly and easily this one guy did it, how, how long is it going to take for four of them to get together and be like, well, if we kill him, maybe we'll decide what happens now. It's only a matter of time, unless he gets, keeps building longer and longer tables. <laughs> farther and farther away during his so stupid little meetings. So many tables, dude. I just... Well, I think um, I'm glad that Russia is not having a revolt, to be honest with you. And I am excited yep. that they the, the facade seems to be cracking more than it... Because we've wanted it to crack for a long time, and there have been rumors, but it looks like... This is the first time in a while there's some there's some optimism about the Kremlin, in my opinion. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah, there's Either only way, one way to find out. Fuck Putin. No show on July 4th, but God bless these United States of America. God bless these United States of America indeed. <laughs>